electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be with my friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job, not just entertain, but to educate, teach. Call me 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. It's too darn hot. It's too darn hot. And unlike Cole Porter, we have a Fed chief who doesn't like it hot. He's trying to chill things down to get it so, baby, it's cold outside. And that's what Jay Powell did today when he raised interest rates by 50 basis points and said there could be many more hikes to come, noting that rates are going to have to stay high for a while. So then why did the market more or less hang in there? Why didn't we plummet on the news? Instead of the Dow finishing off just 142 points, this would be slipping 0.61%. NASDAQ, of course, losing 0.76%. NASDAQ, so pathetic. Simple. Because most money managers in this country saw it coming. They know Jay Powell's right. They, they know we still don't have inflation under the control. They've been in the supermarket. They've braced themselves for more pain. They know what the bonus situation looks like. Yes, we've seen some declines in raw commodities, including oil. Yes, we had the beginning of a peak in some of the consumer price index components yesterday. Uh, used cars, gasoline. But we don't have much else under control. And let's face it, we've had nearly two years of elevated price increases. So Powell's not going to stop until he rolls a lot of that back. Above all, above all else, even after a year of massive rate hikes, the Fed's made almost no progress on the most important kind of inflation, which is wage inflation. And it's a real problem, most important problems because that's what they care about the most. Wage inflation, we keep, we keep acting, oh, maybe like they'll be happy because gasoline at the pump is this or rents or that. No, that wage inflation is the issue. It's not that he wants people to make less money. It's that wage inflation is systemic, it's endemic, and it fuels inflation in all categories. As Powell said today, there are roughly 4 million more jobs than there are workers in this country, and until there's less of a mismatch, he can't stop tightening. He just can't. Now, there's always a cohort of people who are just completely dead wrong about these things. 
They expect Powell to say something somehow contrary to what he's been talking about, uh, something about how prices have come down. So why not just ease up? House of pleasure. Those are the ones who panic and blew out of stocks immediately, sending the market down big initially, betting that others would follow in the footsteps, even though the Fed couldn't have telegraphed this move any more clearly, could it? They were making a bet. They were making a bet that other traders would see the decline and then freak out. I know where they're coming from because I've done that myself. I read a statement, I thought it was too hawkish, listen to the Fed chief, I thought it was too tough, and was glad to exit the building. Who needs that kind of risk? But that kind of panic only makes sense when the Fed takes us by surprise. Still, I have no doubt there will be more people bolting from stocks tomorrow morning, believing they've been given a tremendous opportunity to get out well ahead of when things accelerate to the downside. I think they're being too frantic. They need to understand the dilemma that Powell finds himself in. It's one that you and I would find ourselves in. We'd probably be doing exactly what he's doing. First, there's the problem that key portions of inflation remain persistent. Take housing. I like to look at stocks. You know that, not the individual numbers from the government. And if you look at the housing stocks, they're starting to trend up. That's just not part of the Fed's program. Worse, housing prices are holding up. Mortgage rates are actually coming down. The homebuilders are doing spectacularly. Their margins have been sensational, better than almost any time I can remember. If you're on the Fed, that's a disaster. They want to see mortgage rates up. They want to see margins down. So the homebuilders have to cut price in order to get rid of excess inventory. That's not easy because we don't have enough workers or enough plots of land even that have been environmentally committed to being able to build up, build homes so we don't get all the new homes we need. You know, the industry's a lot smarter than it used to be, too. Uh, they uh, don't overbuild like they used to. And that's why Powell has to take some action. He needs more apartments, more rentals, and more homes, all of which take time. He has to play for time, taking us to a place where mortgage rates are so high that demand dries up and housing prices collapse. Of course, no one in the business wants that, except for the people who want a place to live. Fortunately, the Fed sided with the renters and prospective home buyers, and the Fed's got all the ammo. Now, I did gulp when I saw the housing stocks go higher over the last few weeks, while the mortgage rates came back down. The Fed has trillions of dollars in bonds on its balance sheet. I actually wish it would just sell a lot of, I don't know, a lot of 10 to 20-year paper in order to raise long-term rates so mortgages get even more expensive. Powell also needs all these big repositories of rented homes, like those that Blackstone owns, to be cut to come down enough so that they'll be sold. He won't quit raising rates until that happens. Now, Lenore, big home builder, missed on its numbers tonight, and it barely went down. Now, it's bad for the Fed. We'll see what they say tomorrow. But you need, if you're the Fed, you actually, unfortunately, for people who own stock in Lenore, need their shares to go down, too. Then there's the problem of the tight labor market, which is a big one. We asked, remember, we asked Young last night, is it still tight? They said, no, it's getting better. But that, they may be the exception. Even after all these darn rate hikes, there are still way too many jobs chasing way too few people. The reverse of what it's been all my life, which means wages are going higher. Powell can't create a surfeit of labor. He can't change the immigration laws so that foreign students who get engineering degrees here, plenty, many do, can stay here. He certainly can't open our borders or get immigration to look the other way when people come here illegally. So what does he do? If Powell felt that things weren't going his way, 
Now, I got to tell you, what he would have done, he'd hit us with another 75 basis point rate hike, not a 50. He didn't do that because he knows we're making progress. He doesn't want to do too much damage to the economy and cause unnecessary bankruptcies. And that's pretty much where we are in the next four weeks. If Powell takes his time and tightens a little more slowly, then more people might be forced back into the workforce as they go through their savings, while more digitization will obviate the need for workers. I'm trying to be a little clinical here. It doesn't sound good, but I tell it like it is. That can't happen overnight. So many companies are blindsided by the speed of the recovery that they keep expanding. Powell needs them to cut that out. So what does he do? He raises the price of credit. And anything big that you need to do with expansion needs credit. Of course, it isn't easy to slow down an economy that is just desperate for workers, especially when the federal government is creating more jobs than any other time since the Johnson administration, or possibly even World War II. Thanks to the Infrastructure Bill and the CHIPS Act and the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, we're about to create tons of highly skilled jobs that will make the cost of employment in construction skyrocket. And we don't have the people to fill those jobs. We just don't. Even if housing goes lower, we don't have those people. Why didn't Congress think about this? The Fed has no choice here. If they want to beat inflation, they need to be ruthless. Finally, we still have too much speculation. Sure, the SPACs, those abominations are being redeemed left and right. I say good riddance. The new ones are roundly booed, at least by mid. But you think the Fed wants to see all these cryptocurrencies still dramatically higher? I'm sure Powell thinks that's nonsense. Could, could, could Bitcoin be going up because so much of it was wiped out by Sam Bankman-Fried? No matter. Speculation must be crushed wherever it can be found, including those 200-odd coins that I think are worthless. Bottom line. Let Powell play for time. We'll get lower numbers, not necessarily a real slowdown, but lower numbers. We'll get more homes in the market. We'll get more resumes chasing fewer jobs. Just not yet, which is why Powell had, the, uh, had to do the obvious today. And when you do the obvious, not many investors get hurt, aside from the oblivious ones who somehow didn't see it coming. Hey, how about Barry in Florida, please, Barry? Hi, Jim. Booyah. Um, Booyah, what Barry. What's going on? Dominion Energy. Should I buy, sell, or hold? It's I think you can hold in your minion. I mean, uh, look, it's not been a great one, obviously. It's come down tremendously. It yields 4.5%. But the problems there are not, I think, as, uh, as ugly as the stock price would indicate. Uh, I wish they'd come on, though, and walk us through it. I really do. How about we go to Mark in Wisconsin? Mark. Dr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call. Not a problem. I got... I got a, a bad stock here. My average price is like, say, 185. Uh, it's trading for north of 72 dollars a share now. So my question is, do I buy more ticker PYPL, or do I just hold on to the PayPal that I have? I want you to hold to the on. The margins have been hurt here. I am not sure how quickly PayPal can come back because there were. It had a growth rate that's dramatically decelerated, but it's still a good situation. It's just not a great situation. How about we go to Gus in Virginia? Gus. Jim, thank you for all you do for us out here in the retail world, Ah, my friend. Thank you, buddy. Thank you very much. Let's go to work. My question is on a company that reported a great earnings beat last month. Uh, You had their CEO on the show, and you thought your takeaway was the stock should go much higher. But the last two weeks, it's down a lot. I'm wondering what's going on, and if you think Palo Alto Networks is still a buy. 
I like PANW. I like Nikesh Aurora. I think a lot of the high-profile, high-multiple, price earnings, multiple stocks have come down. But remember, he's done the pivot. They're profitable, and I think they're good. And I've got to tell you, I uh, did a lot of work on Datadog. I said this morning uh, that, look, they're not making money. It's true, but their cash flow is great. And MongoDB may be best in show. So there's three that are working. All right. Pal had to do the obvious today. And when you do the obvious, not many people get hurt, okay? Aside from the oblivious ones who somehow didn't see it coming. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, you called in and stumped me on a couple of stocks. So I'm turning in my homework on Clearfield and Sotara Health. Then we're continuing our series on the best performance of 2022. I look at the consumer staples, and I'm sharing three names that I think could have a strong showing next year. And tomorrow, tomorrow is the CMC Investing Club monthly meeting at noon where we are helping club members get set for the new year. And I need you to join. I'll demonstrate what we do by answering some of the questions that would normally be reserved for tomorrow's meeting because we just got so many. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Every night I take some time to answer your questions because see, my goal has always been to help you to be a better investor. From the very beginning, I wanted to make Mad Money the most interactive show on television. So it's like, I can't help you unless I know what you care about. 
I'm constantly talking about the stocks that I find intriguing, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't address the ones that get the audience excited, too. And I know nobody else does it. I guess I like it because I like to talk about stocks. And you know that. If you see me on the street, you know that you can ask me. I'm always there for you. Of course, every now and then, though, I get a question I can't answer immediately. Hey, when that happens and it's not a penny stock, you know the drill. We take some time to do the research, then we come back to it with a more considered opinion. And since we are about to head into winter break, we figured it would be a good idea to get our homework done. Not, don't have it stacked up when we get back in January. So tonight, we have a couple of them. Let's get to it. And one of them is so exciting. See, last Monday, Daniel in Michigan called about a company called Clearfield, CLFD for all you home gamers. I was quite embarrassed I didn't know it. I told him I had to do some digging. I said, close embarrassed because I, knew, I heard the name, but I, I, I couldn't put the face to it. This is a small cap company that makes fiber optic equipment for the cable and telco industries. Their equipment lets service providers build fiber optic networks faster and more efficiently, especially in the last mile, where these fiber networks get connected to your home. And you know how big this business is. Now, Clearfield's actually been around since the 80s, but it was in one form or another. That's one of the reasons why I was fooled. See, back in the day, it was known as AmeriCable, and then it was APA Enterprises before changing its name to Clearfield in 2008. It came public way back in the early 90s, although it was a tiny microcap stock for most of that period. Aside from a brief stretch during the dot-com era, where all the fiber optic names soared in the stratosphere. And you need to know, I've never looked at the microcap stocks. I feel that they're too easily manipulated. We'll talk about that later. And I just do not like to have stocks that are 10 cents, 15 cents, 20 cents, too easy to have them jump and come back down. This is not like that anymore. For its first couple of decades as a public company, Clearfield was a marginal, in marginal existence mode. They didn't rack up more than $25 billion in annual revenue until 2011. That's really kind of as low a threshold as you want to do. In fact, until a couple of years ago, the stock was too small for us to even mention on air. Over the past two and a half years, though, this thing, I mean, well, look, you know, picture tells a thousand words. Look at this thing. They've skyrocketed. This thing traded as low as $8 in March of 2020. Of course, a lot of stocks did bottom back then before surging to the 130s at its highest last month. Although it's pulled back hard in recent weeks, coming down 105 and changed today. Whenever I see a remarkable move like this, my gut instinct is to say it's too good to be true. But when it comes to Clearfield, get this. This run is totally justifiable. Because the company's seen a huge ramp up in business over the last four years. Their revenue's more than tripled since 2018, tripled, including 92% growth this past year. Their gross profits also more than tripled over the same period. And while their operating expenses have been on the rise, they've been they've declining as a percentage of sales. That's what matters, okay? From more than 30% in 2018 down to less than 20% this year. As a result, Clearfield's earnings have just exploded. This year alone, their net income jumped 243%, which is what happens when you get that kind of jump. So while the stock's had a huge run, it's got the financials to back it up. It's not even expensive on an earnings basis. Clearfield's expected to earn uh, $4.52 per share next year, up 27% from this year, even though shares were highly elevated from this year's great earnings. That means it's selling for just 23 times earnings, which to me, I don't know, it's a steal. It's a growth stock steal. 
What's driving the strength? Well, first you had the, the 5G build-out, which caused an explosion of demand for clear field fiber optic components. You know that from your house, if you have a house. Second, we're now seeing tons of investment in rural broadband, heavily supported by the federal government. Last year, bipartisan infrastructure package had $65 billion earmarked for boosting broadband access. In 2020, the Federal Communications Commission rolled out a $20 billion rural digital opportunity fund to accomplish something similar. Biden's first stimulus bill last year had $10 billion for rural infrastructure, including broadband. Put it all together, and you've got nearly $100 billion in broadband subsidies, especially for rural communities. And that is this company's bread and butter. I mean, what a great call. Our callers are so darn smart. I, I wish I had known this one ahead of time. This money has started to hit over the, uh, over the past year, sooner than expected, which is how Clearfield could deliver such incredible revenue growth. And the numbers just keep getting better and better. When they reported last month, they had 110% revenue growth and with much better than expected guidance for 2023. All right, one little fly in the ointment I'm going to mention. Last Tuesday, Clearfield announced a $100 million secondary offering. It was eventually upsized to $120 million, but priced at $100, well below where the stock was trading at the time. That put a lot of pressure on the shares, but now it's over and they're not going to go have to raise any money anytime soon. This is a hyper growth company that's also quite profitable. So it works fine in this environment. It wouldn't be up five from where it did that deal if it weren't really, really strong. My view, I think Daniel in Michigan has found himself a real gem here. Typically, I'd urge you to wait for a pullback, but Clearfield just gave you one. Now's your chance to pounce. That said, if you already bought it much lower like Daniel did, well, you know, I don't want you to be a pig, right? But uh, you could always just bring the register, buy yourself a nice sweater. Thank you, uh, Grandma Louise. That's my ma. Next up, last night, Corey in South Carolina had one. Uh, Corey, don't take this personally. It's called Soterra Health, and the symbol says SHC. I said I'd come back. So Terra works for the healthcare industry, provides sterilization, lab testing, and advisory services. I could get into the nitty-gritty of this business, but I don't want to waste your time because I'm not interested in Soterra for one simple reason. It's got major litigation risk, and I don't like that. Look at 3M going from 190 down to 120. That was litigation risk mostly. Specifically, the company's facing hundreds of personal injury lawsuits related to emissions from its use of ethylene oxide at a now-closed sterilization plant outside of Chicago. According to the plaintiffs, their exposure to the chemical caused them to, uh, to get cancer. That's really ugly. Some of the things like that with 3M, too. Now, 3M did a restructuring, but a lot of the pressure, I think, with 3M comes from, comes from lawsuits, not from restructuring. Now, in September, the, uh, the first of the Soterra cases uh, are going to go uh, went to trial, and uh, the verdict was against Soterra. They lost $363 million in damages. That's for one single breast cancer survivor. The stock lost more than half of its value over the next couple of weeks. In the interest of fairness, Sotera won the second trial here. A different jury awarded that plaintiff nothing last month. And they're challenging the first 42. But here's the problem. More than 700 people have sued Sotera over this issue, accusing the company of causing a wide range of cancers. At this point, if you buy Sotera Health, you're basically playing litigation roulette. I don't like to do that. Even if they win four out of five cases and only give up $25 million per plaintiff on the losing ones, that would add up to uh, $3.5 billion, more than three times the company's annual revenue. It is not worth the risk of this one. Plus, Sotara, it wasn't exactly a great stock to own even before they lost the first cancer liability case back in September. Stock came public 23 a couple years ago, and it's all it's done is slide lower and lower. Ah, forget about it. Their margins are crumbling. One of the key components mainly comes from Russia. Their CFO resigned in May, and they still haven't found a replacement. Well, I'd say a lot of red flags. 
I know I said buy satirists like Russian, uh, litigation roulette, but honestly, it's more like the financial equivalent of Russian roulette. No, thank you. Bottom line, hey, you know what? We got a quality stock here. It's Clearfield. Go for that. Avoid the legal minefields. Avoid Sotara Help. Man Money's back here to the break. Coming up, nothing keeps a portfolio together like the Staples. Top performers and best ideas for 2023. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. As we get closer and closer to 2023, we're taking some time each night to look back at the best performing stocks of 2022, going sector by sector to find the year's best winners. The goal here is to identify the most impressive success stories, see if any of these stocks might be able to repeat their great performances in the new year. On Monday, we start with energy, which has been far and away the best performing sector in the S&P 500, up 55% year to date, when the next closest competitor is only up low single digits. The competitors, the utilities, which we talked about last night, a lot of quality names there, though. Even though the average performance of the group wasn't too incredible, I, I learned a lot last night from even working on the piece. Then again, any sector that can finish this year in the black has to be considered good given the horrific performance of the averages. Tonight, we're looking at one of the next best performing groups. This one's basically a tie between the consumer staples and healthcare, both of which are more or less flat for the year. We'll start with the staples tonight and we'll get to healthcare tomorrow. Normally, in a slowing economy, the consumer staples are some of the biggest winners because they're widely considered to be recession-proof. According to the hedge fund playbook, you have to buy the staples whenever the Fed tightens aggressively because people still need to buy food and beverages and household products, even in a weaker economy like the one it seems like that the Fed wants to give us after listening to Jay Powell today. But this year is a little more complicated. Thanks to rampant inflation, many of these companies were facing tremendous cost pressures. Raw materials, packaging, transportation, labor, all those costs were soaring earlier this year. So only the brands with real pricing power could make do because they had the ability to pass those costs on to you, the consumer. On top of that, these consumer staples tend to be global operators, so they got hurt badly when the dollar spent the first nine months of the year charging relentlessly higher. Oh, it hurt every single quarter. A strong domestic currency means their overseas earnings translate into fewer greenbacks, or, of course, they can't go up against a currency that's local because it's too cheap. So... The consumer staples have held up okay this year, but they haven't done nearly as well as you might expect at a time when Wall Street's terrified of what looks to me more and more like a Fed-mandated recession. Of course, many of these cost headwinds have already become tailwinds or are about to be at the beginning of the year. Raw materials, packaging, transportation costs, they've all come down dramatically. Uh, and, then, of course, the dollar index that I mentioned, which measures our currency against a basket of of farm ones. It's come down nearly 10% from its highs in less than three months. It's been a remarkable turn of fortune, and we don't talk about it enough. At the same time, nobody's feeling particularly good about the economy. Are you? 
I'm not entirely convinced that we're headed for a recession this year, but we're definitely looking for a meaningful slowdown. And that is true for the consumer staples. They'll be able to keep putting up solid earnings growth, even as most other industries will experience down numbers. When you look at the best performing staples here today, we've got some interesting names. Number one is one I didn't, well, I'm not saying I forgot about it. I've been following for absolutely years and years, but it's Archer Daniels Midland, ADM. This stock's up more than 37% for the year. Now, this is an agriculture play. They sell seeds and process all sorts of crops. I've recommended this one repeatedly since the beginning of the year, especially because Russia invaded Ukraine, which is the breadbasket of Europe, and sent crop prices soaring. I figured it was the best way to play it and got that right. Putin single-handedly created an agricultural bull market in the rest of the world. And look, Archer Daniels Midland, ADM, has been killing it. In the most recent quarter, they turned in a monster 43-cent earnings beat off a dollar forty-three basis, much higher than expected sales. Plus, even though the stock's rallied nearly forty percent for the year, do you know it's actually much cheaper than it was in January because the earnings estimates have skyrocketed. At the beginning of the year, the analysts figured ADM could earn, eh, I don't know, four dollars seventy-seven cents. Now, get this. Now they're talking about $7.50, meaning the stock currently sells for just 12 times this year's uh, numbers. Remember, as earnings estimates go up, the price of the multiple goes down. That's attractive to me. Of course, the current agricultural bull market is likely to taper off next year. But even if you judge Archer Daniels based on the estimates for 2024, the stock's still traded 15 times earnings. And frankly, as long as the war in Ukraine unfortunately continues, I think ADM is going to be a winner. While it's not my favorite ag play, and you know that's dear, I think ADM is a good one right here. All right, how about the second best? Oh, this is an odd one. We never talk about this one. It's called Lamb Weston. This is a food service-focused frozen potato outfit that was spun off by ConAgra several years ago with a stock that's also up 37% for the year. Now, Lamb Weston's done that old-fashioned way through excellent earnings. Over the past four quarters, they've beaten the earnings estimates by an average of 48.5%. It's not hard to see why, because Lamb Weston's a reopening play. The bulk of their sales come from restaurants, see great French fries, or other away-from-home dining situations that we're now going out with since COVID's run its course. In other words, people are eating more fries at restaurants now that they're eager to go out again post-pandemic. I know I am. I don't know about you. Now, that makes for a good story, but it's not necessarily something Lamb Weston can repeat next year, especially with the stock selling at 29 times earnings. Plus, you can only beat the estimates so many times before the analysts finally catch up to you. They get wise, and they're going to be making it much more difficult for comparisons next year. I'm not saying sell Lamb Weston, but I doubt Lamb Weston can give you another 37% gain in 2023. And then in third place is one I think that actually can do as well, and that's Kramer fave Campbell's Soup run by the incredibly smart Mark Klaus. Campbell Soup is the packed food powerhouse with the stocks up 31% for the year. These guys have always had a strong set of brands. There's a can of cream of mushroom soup upstairs in the office right now, and there's four of us who want it. But, of course, I'll get it because I'm senior. But they struggled with supply chain issues for much of last year into the early this year. Fortunately, those supply chain problems are now in the, in the past. Campbell Soup's put through uh, enough price increases to offset the, in, the earlier cost pressures, and they're not going to roll back those prices, even though costs have started to come down. Or at least they're going to try not to. Remember, there are supermarkets that have a lot of clout, too. When Campbell Soup reported last week, the quarter was just a thing of beauty. 15% organic sales growth, monster earnings beat, tremendous forecast. I expect big earnings growth here as the raw costs keep coming down. 
It's a very good story for 2023. It's well behind the market. Beyond these three best performers, there are a few staples that I'm enthusiastic about that I want to talk about. So, for instance, there's EL, Estee Lauder. The cosmetics tightened with a stock that's lost a third of its value uh, this year alone because it's got a huge Chinese business. And I think that that's, you know, I think that's coming back. Uh, but with China, China's back away from that. It's lunatic zero COVID policy. I see COVID, uh, I see with COVID, let's just say even exploding and then going on the wane because that's what happens with COVID. This one is a winner, especially on a pullback. In fact, it's already rebounded more than 30% from its lows last month when we really pushed it. We got it for the charitable trust and we're sticking with it. I made a 1020 show just about how I thought this was the right one. And another one I like, STC, is Constellation Brands. That's, uh, you know, them as the booze company famous for really for the Mexican beers, Corona, Modelo, Pacifico. You ought to try Victoria. It's really good. The stock's been under a little pressure lately because the family of the founders decided to unload a ton of shares. But Constellation keeps putting up terrific numbers, and alcohol is a recession-proof category. I got numbers that show that people drink more beer in recession than less. If anything, I've got to tell you, when people are miserable about the economy, they can pound them. Finally, there's one that I have not. Oh, this one's tough. I got, a, you know, I got an inquiry from them on my phone today asking me how the service has been. I, I didn't want to answer because I, I, I didn't think I was representative. But I got to tell you, it's Walgreens Boots Alliance, the drugstore, and I don't care for the service. It's been a serial underperformer, but I think it's a turnaround story now that all-star CEO Roz Brewers installed her team and started implementing her strategy. She tried to make Walgreens more of a care-focused story with clinics and even in-home services. I'm optimistic to see what she can do, but I'm going to be very candid. It's the stealing stuff, the pilferage. It's all those plastic things. It's easier for me to go, just go order from Amazon. And the one that I have right down the block, five minutes to try to get them to open for a razor blade, and they didn't come, and I left. Order on Amazon, not looking back. Here's the bottom line. When you look at the top three performing consumer staples, I think Campbell Soup can keep winning next year. I really like Archer J. O. Smith for the long haul. And I'm a little less enthusiastic about Lamb Weston. I'd rather go with Estee Lauder, Constellation Brands, or Walgreens. Let's take calls. Let's go to Clyde in Michigan. Clyde. Clyde, speak to me. Clyde's holding back. I think we should, I th- you know what? I think we ought to just wrap up the segment, go and just talk a little more about how much I like these stocks. I think Campbell's suit can keep winning next year. I like Archer Daniels Midland for the long haul, still not expensive. Less enthusiastic about Lamb Weston. I'm saying Estee Lauder's right. You'll be hearing more about that tomorrow when you go to our 12 o'clock conference call only for club members. Constellation's brand is good, and I'm waffling on Walgreens, but I see things I like. Watch more Mad Bun here. We're hosting our Mad Monthly Meeting for CNBC Investing Club. We received so many questions. We're taking some of them tonight to help you uh, set up for 2023 and also to see what we really do in the club for those who have chosen not to join it yet. Then, today the SEC, in, uh, it, they passed a, well, they, 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 they blew up a handful of individuals in this FinTwit community on a $100 million pump and dump scheme. So what does the case mean for the intersection of social media and investing and you? I'm taking a closer look. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow is our final investing club meeting of the year. Noon 
tomorrow. Can you believe it? You do not want to miss this one. Here's a way to sign up. There's still time. Tonight, we want to give you a little taste of what we do in one part, just one part of the meetings. One of my favorite things we do is take questions submitted only by club members. We always get a ton of them, and we, frankly, we can't get to them all. So let me show you what it's like. I'm going to give you a little preview of some of the action members could see tomorrow. And you'd be a member, and it could happen to you. All right, here we go. Let's kick it off with Janet, who says, first, Jim, you are the very personification of Philadelphia brotherly love. Blessings to you, sir. Thank you very much. Next, my question. What do you recommend as the best investing instrument for Roth IRA? An ETF, a mutual fund, a cash account? Please advise. Okay, well, look, it depends on how much time you have. Mutual fund is fine. Uh, you know, just being in a good mutual fund that has done well or an S&P fund, I think, is just fine. David in California asks, in your Monday Investment Club meeting, you once again spoke about the need to do homework on your stock picks rather than letting the CEO tell you on their stocks. What does homework process look like? What metrics do you consider? Thank you. Okay, first I'd like to find out what's the key metric. What does, like airlines, is seat miles. You want to know revenue par for uh, how much they make per seat. You want to know revenue per room if you're doing hotels. If you're looking at something like Boeing, you want to know how they're doing against Airbus. If you're looking at, at uh, just say, automobiles, you want to know how they're doing. How do they stack up? How much are their costs for EV? How much does it cost for each one of them? What is their gross margin? What do their sales look like? These are all parts of the equation. Now, I will tell you, it's a drag for most people. Like, most people do not want to compare Cheesecake Factory to Yum, all right? Most people do not want to come home and look at Datadog and compare that one to, uh, let's, MongoDB, all right? It's hard, but that's what I do. And it's why I often recommend mutual funds for people, because if you can't do that kind of homework, then you've got to stick with some very basic stocks. It's really under, it's very easy to understand a Kimberly, very easy to understand a, a, uh, a, a, a you can easily understand a Kellogg, that kind of thing, Conagra. So you've got to stick with what's easy or you've got to stick with a mutual fund. Next up is Jeffrey, who asks, what should we do with our old friend Moderna? Will China soon become Moderna's vaccine as hospitalization increases? We got a real break with old friend Moderna. They finally delivered on that personalized vaccine that they talked about with me literally five years ago. When it comes to cancer, you can still buy the stock of Moderna. They don't need the China business. I think Moderna is an amazing investment. A little speculative after a 40-point rally, though. Let's get to Ariella in Connecticut, who says the market has been horrible all year. Yeah, I know, Ariella. Is it reasonable to raise cash from the markets in a downturn? But it's also important to stay in the game. What is the highest level of cash that investors should keep in their portfolio? All right. Now, just like we do the homework for you when we talk about the stocks, you might be too bored to do the homework. We try to keep our cash level at the level we think you should keep it. And we're at around 12 percent, which is a little bit higher than we like. Remember, we are not a hedge fund. We are a fund that's committed to owning stocks, and we try to own as many as we can and tell the story. But when we think things are uncertain, we do take it to double-digit amount of cash where it is right now. All right, let's go to Eric, who asks, do physical gold and silver still have a place in a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds? What a great question. I do own some gold. Uh, why I own gold? I've owned it for years. Has it worked as a, as a hedge fund, as a, as a hedge against inflation? No! It's failed miserably. It does work as a hedge against the fear of inflation, but it's not worth. I have no silver, silver as industrial. I've been very disappointed with coal, very disappointed with crypto. These are just not working. 
All right. Now let's go. You know what works? Really good stocks with good yields and treasuries. Now let's go to Gene in California who asks, what does the inverted yield curve really mean? Is it time to start buying the 10-year Treasury bond? Is the inverted yield curve predicting that we are on the backside of inflation and further rate hikes? Why did the inversion become even more defined? Okay, the Fed has take short rates up, all right, and that's going to cause uh, a recession. Theoretically, that's what's happened uh, in six, in 12 out of the last six times that's happened. And now here's what, ha- here's what it does. Of course, it causes the long end to fall in, in, in rate. In other words, the yield goes down as we expected a recession in the, in the future. I don't expect one. I've been saying to people over and over again, the two-year, the two-year, the two-year is a great place to be. I can't own individual stocks. I do have the charitable trust, but I am heavy into the two-year. I think getting 4% is fine. All right, let's go to Andy, who asks, I hear a lot about balanced 60-40 portfolios, which I understand 60% invested in equities, 40% invested in fixed income. If this is considered a good split, why, with the exception of cash, are you all in equities in the charitable trust? Because it is a charitable trust. And remember, it's a teaching tool primarily. I created this in order to show you how to analyze stocks. It's not about how to make as much money for me, for charity, it's about how, because, we, look, we wouldn't let you buy stocks ahead of us. It was that type of thing. It's how do we demonstrate how to understand how to pick stocks. That's what it's for, and that's what it's always been for. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for the light round. Let's start with Tim in Texas. Tim. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. What's up? Not much. I wanted to ask you about the stock WWE. It's had a good run. I don't think it's up 50%. I would not want to come in at this level. I am... Uh, actually quite encouraged by how well the company is run. I had some people who worked there, and it's just a much better outfit than most people think. Let's go to Tom in Texas. Tom. Hey, Jim. Hi, long-time listener, first-time caller. How are you? Oh, thank you for calling. What's up? Well, first of all, we appreciate all that you do for all of us, and we look forward to your call tomorrow. But my uh, question's on the cruise line. We have a good call tomorrow. I, good call tomorrow. Yeah, go ahead. Well, my question on the cruise lines. I know you're a big fan of Norwegian. I was on a Royal Absolutely. one two weeks ago and totally booked and went to book the next one. And they said, we're booked out eight months before you can get on again. Well, so- I mean, I used Norwegian. I happened to like wanted to book one on Norwegian. I was going to book one right before COVID started. I think that they're all very well run. Royal Caribbean is an excellent, excellent company. Let's go to Warren in Hawaii. Warren. Aloha from from Maui, Mahalo, Hawaii. my friend. Mahalo. He's one of my Mahalo. Ohana, of my Ohana. Yes, what's up? Yes. What I'd like to find out is your uh, thing, what you could tell me about uh, LNTH, Lantis Holding. On the just, you know, look, there is a company that was at one point up five today, about four. It's now down two, and it finished at 274. And its name is Danaher, and I'm going to talk about it tomorrow at the investing club. And I got to tell you, I think it's a heck of a lot better than than LANT. I'm much better. Let's go to Tom in California. Tom. 
Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Hey, oh, Tom, of course. Oh, I continue to be a long patient fan of uh, Cleveland Cliff, determined to stay the course. You still a fan? Okay. Uh, not as much as I am of Nucor. I think the numbers may be too high in Cliffs. I think the numbers may be too low in Nucor. In that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, what can you learn from the FTX debacle? Rules to protect your assets. Next. Jim Kramer, the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it. P.T. Barnum, he was completely wrong. There's not a sucker born every minute. There's a sucker born every second. That's how I felt when I read the SEC charged eight social media influencers and a $100 million stock manipulation scheme that they promoted on social media. In its scathing, detailed 39-page complaint, the SEC went after Edward Constantine, a.k.a. Mr. Zach Morris, (laughs) Perry Matlock, a.k.a. PJ Matlock, Thomas Cooperman, a.k.a. Tommy Coops, Gary Deal, a.k.a. Mystic Mac, Mitchell Hennessy, a.k.a. Hugh Henny, Stefan Reverden, a.k.a. Laidback with two Ks, Daniel Knight, a.k.a. Deity of Dips, and John Robercheck, a.k.a. Ultra Calls, or the Stock Sniper, for ripping off thousands upon thousands of people in their pump-and-dump schemes. Everybody knows what a pump and dump is. It's when you buy a stock, then publicly hype into it, only to sell it immediately into the spike. The Sopranos had a whole arc, really good one. It was in Boonton, New Jersey, where they were pumping and dumping with bistics. They beat the living daylights out of one of the brokers who, who tried to recommend his responsible mutual funds rather than that joke of a company with no prospects. But candidly, this latest case is simply astonishing in its relentless, ruthless scamming. Listen to this for the complaint, quote, to their legion of followers on social media, the eight defendants have for years promoted themselves as trustworthy stock picking gurus. In reality, they are, se- they are seasoned stock manipulators. It goes on, quote, they identify stocks ripe for manipulation, acquire substantial positions in these securities, and then recommend those stocks as good investments to their followers on Twitter and online stock forums they run and on podcasts. They encourage their followers uh, to purchase the selected stocks, often claim that they likewise have bought or intend to buy these stocks for themselves and hold them, end quote. Then here comes the kicker, quote, Instead, the defendants sell their shares into demand that their deceptive promotions generate, end quote. I read all this, and I read it to you. So I want you to realize that there are scams all over the place, all over the place in this business. Sam Bankman-Fried was running a scam. It was a simple investment one, according to the new CEO of FTX. And these social media influencers were running their scams publicly. That's why I am pro-regulation. The gang of promoters who got nailed yesterday were amazing scalpers. Incredible alleged liars. Dynamite at it. Doing their most nefarious work on Twitter, where they regularly posted about stocks that they were manipulating. Always telling you how much they love 
robbed them. And then, boom, according to the government, one of them proudly bragged to the others that, quote, 20 of us run Finwit and we have more money than some countries, end quote. Elon Musk has enough on his plate. I might have flagged him on it. They were a little they were a little clever, too. I mean, they were upfront about get this. I really love this. They were very upfront about their losses they suffered, giving them an air of credibility. Except in reality, those losses were gauged because they sold when their followers were buying. They were simply trying to look human and make mistakes. They were repeatedly sold in direct contradiction to their public statements. They endlessly said they weren't pumping and dumping, even as they were um, pumping and dumping. Now, right now, uh, as I speak, I'm sure there are others doing the exact same thing, perhaps on Twitter, having some fun. There are probably many other boiler rooms, operations still pushing the modern equivalent of Wibisics and probably, don't worry, some sort of enterprise software company. Or Anacott Steel, if you go to pump and dump references that are 35 years old from Wall Street. Sam Bankman-Fried fooled a bunch of smart investors, including some of the most respected venture capital firms out there because of his pedigree at a previous firm. I think crypto is full of these guys, and we constantly see, I'm talking about every day, cryptocurrency pump and dump operations on social media that I know that you are getting caught up in, and I want you to stop. What can you do about it? First, if it's even a penny stock, if it, which is, you know, even when it's changed on an exchange, just forget about it. I don't want any penny stock buying. The odds heavily favor that you're just somebody stooge in an otherwise pump and dump sell, sell, sell. operation. If it's a hot tip, do some due diligence. Is it a real company, a good company? Hey, it's one, would you buy it if it went down or would you kick it out? Take the loss. And if we're talking about a hedge fund, not just a crypto hedge fund, go to the firm's account and then ask to see the records. If the manager won't let you do that, then you don't give them your money. These simple rules will protect you from all of these schemes. Yes, you can wait to be protected by the SEC and justice. But by the time they take action, it's usually too late. In the meantime, I need you to take your cue from public enemy. And don't believe the hype. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.